Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, 2-20-2022, and we're ready to begin or continue our worship service with the thought of the week and prayer. Go right ahead. All right, here we have the thought of the week, and this is revolving around truth. Everyone thinks what they believe is the truth. Why is it the truth? Simply because they believe it is to be true. For sure, our arrogance is involved here. We sincerely want to be right in the things we trust and hold to be true. This is where we must be careful because everyone cannot be right. Many will swear by, fight, and even give their lives for their beliefs. Of course, I don't expect to change what everyone believes by writing this discourse, but I hope I can shed some light on our approach to truth. If we keep looking for truth in all the wrong places, we will, quote, always, always be learning, but never be able to come to a knowledge of the truth. From 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. We are supposed to believe the truth, but everything we believe may not be the truth. Truth comes as we are trained by the word of God. Who does the training? Primarily, God the Holy Spirit. The material he uses is the Father's plan, which is the mind of Christ, as taught through the pastor teacher. The objective? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. <clears throat> we all must start somewhere, and the food metaphor is helpful here. There are levels of truth, from the milk to the meat of the word. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And here's another quote. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Training is important, and the word is good for training in righteousness. And that phrase is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I would include 17 in that as well. Well, that is the thought of the week. And let me offer a, a short commentary on that. And the commentary is, is basically a phrase that we have heard in the world when people say that there's, you know, how do we tell which news is true and which one's not? And the phrase is, consider the source. What is the source of the information that you are relying on. And in this case, it's not a casual reliance either. This is for your soul's salvation. The most critical thing in this world that we have is a savior that we can rely and trust in. And that source is from God. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, his son. All of whom have made it completely um, of their avail. So we come to them to know the truth. We come to the word of God to know the truth, as it says in John 17, 17, after which we named our church. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So I just want to reiterate again that we're looking at all the experiences and vast amounts of information out there, and even maybe looking at your internal emotional feedback. Consider the source. If truth comes from God, maybe it's God we need to turn to. I'll turn it over to King Dave for prayer. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Uh, thank you, Dwight. 
Do anyone have any special prayer requests to send us to the Father? Okay, at this point, we'd like to take this to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we are coming to you, Lord, on the Sunday, Father, asking you, Lord, to look over us as we learn more from your word, Father. We allow the Holy Spirit to teach us, Father, your direct word and truth, Father, so we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you, Lord, to provide those who are in need of you, Lord, at this particular moment. We also look to Father for those who are uh, suffering through any kind of elder father that you protect them while we are in this world, Father. So, Father, as we continue to grow in grace and in the God of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we ask that as let the pastor teach us your direct word, Father. Come in, Heavenly Father, through your words, truth, Father, so we can grow in grace, Father. We ask these things and other blessings for his name's sake. Amen. Amen, Dave. Thank you. And <clears throat> thank you, Dwight. We um, have been studying, as you know, in John chapter 17, and we're going to continue there. Uh, so I'm going to start reading at verse 1, just to help orient us to the context and where we left off. After, verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. You, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by fin finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So we're, we're going to continue right there in verse 9, but it's sometimes a good practice to just make sure we uh, integrate the context of what we are talking about and where we have been. Sometimes as we go on, it might become difficult when there's a lot of verses, but as these early verses, we can certainly take advantage of that. So in your notes, you have it, right? This is, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. It is a blessing to be mentioned directly by the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. This blessing comes to the disciples who are the foundation of the church. It is also conferred upon us as well. Quote, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Special mention from Jesus helps us focus on the subject at hand. Jesus has been preparing the disciples for their new calling. It was certainly honorable to be chosen as a disciple. It will be even more honorable for them to be in the foundation with Christ for the church. There would there would be much more to learn for their new purpose. It is certainly easier for us to look back on the birth of the church than the disciples going through the changes from one dispensation to another. Hopefully, uh, it will give us a new way of looking at the disciples. Knowing that they went through a lot, we should have some sympathy for them. <laughs> For all that they went through uh, by means of just following uh, from one dispensation, just following the words of Christ to this new dispensation where we now have our feet planted firmly. 
So let's dig into these phrases. I've only broke it down into two phrases, and then that's it. <clears throat> so let's see if we can cover them. I've, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. Christ is praying for the 11 disciples. That's clear. I, I hope it's clear for everybody, but um, I know it's not. I know I've heard aberrant uh, theologies out there that say that this is praying for all of the elect for all mankind and all this but really from the, the development of the context even from chapters 13 all the way here we know it is the 11 disciples I know I, this is not a, a huge point to make for many because it seems like a foregone conclusion for us but not so for for some this is a special prayer for the disciples who would later be apostles. Now, we read this already in Luke. And I don't know that we need to cover it again, but I'll just make the point. And you could go back and read it again for your, just to be familiar with where we are and what goes on. Uh, Luke deals with how Christ, there were many disciples, but Christ picked out 12 of them. And he gives the name specifically of the ones that he wanted to be, quote, the disciples, unquote. So we should know that that is the case. It is not just like randomly people walking up and saying, hey, I'd like to be a disciple. And another, I'd like to be one too. And Jesus picks them all. You know, no, no that's, it's not the first 12. It's not the, the last 12. It is the ones that the Father chose from eternity past. This is a very special calling. So we should note that. Point B. We should also note that uh, those groups, he is not directing this prayer. Okay, so there are groups, this one small group of 11 disciples, but he's also talking uh, by choosing them <clears throat> to to say this is who I'm praying for and this is what this prayer, this whole thing is about, <clears throat> by choosing them, he is not choosing others. So we're going to talk about the groups that are not being chosen that he's not speaking about, uh, in as Christ prays in the world. So first is Israel. He's not. You notice he is not praying for Israel. He's praying for these 11 disciples. Even though they are in Israel, he is specifically only praying for them. He's not praying for the hierarchy, the leadership, the, you know, the people in Israel. You know, none of that. He's just praying for these 11 disciples who will become a part of the founding members of the church. And there are, listen, there are other people in Israel at this time who were saved. It wasn't just the 11 disciples. So we should make a note that Israel, could he, Christ could have extended the prayer to all believers who were alive on the earth at that time. And we've done that when we prayed. Sometimes, sometimes we, we say we're praying for the church universal. Believers, whatever country they are in, wherever they are, we're praying for them. And you will find that there are prayers in the gospels, or not in the epistles, where Paul prays and talks about believers wherever they are. So in, in this instance, he is not praying for believers in Israel. Uh, he's not praying for Gentiles. And Gentiles at, at this time, <clears throat> as, as the note says, at this time those in Israel could be saved. Gentiles could also be saved as Gentiles before Pentecost. So in the Old Testament... There were Jews and Gentiles, and both of them could be saved. And notice, at, at the time of writing, I would imagine uh, that there were Jews and Gentiles who were saved. But Jesus is not praying for them. And, and this is clear by him telling us specifically who he is praying for. So it excludes others. It, you could say, well, Jesus, it's a good thing to pray for everybody. You could tell Jesus that if you want to. But I'm telling you that Jesus is picking this opportunity with these 11 people that he has chosen 
and he's telling you he's praying for them. So it is important for us to note. Uh, and then I gave the 1 Corinthians 10.29 passage here, which I will turn to it, but we have turned, we have already looked at this, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm reminding you of this. Oh, is it 10.29? Oh, did I give the wrong verse? It should be 10.32. So good thing we turned to it. So correct your notes. 10.32 is the verse in question, not 10.29. You could start at 10.29 if you want, but do, here's 10.32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. So these are, this is everyone there is on the earth, right? There are, now there's not more than Jews and Gentiles. There's the church of God that is added. So there, there you have the, dis, the divisions or distinctions of groups of people on the earth. So um, the church is saved, obviously, because they come through the gospel. But Jews and Gentiles could be saved or lost. Uh, it, it depends whether or not they believe the gospel. So then, point number two is the world. So by, by him praying specifically for the disciples, he is not praying for the world. And he specifically mentions and excludes the world. So he's not, this is not a prayer for salvation for the world. Now, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you could tell Jesus, Jesus, shouldn't you be praying for lost souls out there? You could say that. But Jesus has something specific in mind here that he's praying for. There's getting ready to be a dispensational change. There's getting ready to be the unveiling of the Father's eternal purpose. And Jesus' mind is focused on the Father's plan. And that's exactly what the Father wants him to be focused on. And that is this information, preparing these 11 disciples for what would soon happen in their world. So uh, the world refers to unbelievers. So he's not praying for the world of unbelievers. And you can see this in various verses. I just gave one, John 3, 16, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What does he mean by the world? He's talking about the fact that he provided a savior for all mankind who are lost. Christ is given to people, or you could say that there's another verse in Second uh, Corinthians five nineteen where it talks about uh, the Father is reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So that He's talking about the whole world sins being poured on or out on Christ. So the world here refers to unbelievers in the world. Whenever we talk about the world in Scripture, that's more the comment. For instance, 1 Corinthians 2, I could have threw other verses, 2-2, two, two, not 1 Corinthians, 1 John 2-2. Two, two. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so he's, he's talking about the, the whole world, and that's just the note. So but the, he, Jesus excludes the world. We just want to say, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. All right, let's continue. Point number C, we should note that this prayer is a prayer specifically for the church. Now, that matters. It is a prayer specifically for us. Believers of that time would like, now this is just a note aside from that, believers of that time would likely be in the church, but this prayer is for the churches establishment. The fact that the disciples are going to be a part of the founding of the church is important. And Jesus is, we're getting a picture of what's important to Jesus right now. And we, we're going to talk about the importance of prayer. Yes, that's a part of it, right? But we want, if we miss this point, the point that, that Jesus is, what's hot on his mind, what is in his stream of consciousness, what is in the Father's mind right now, what does the Father want Jesus to do is right here 
is to make sure he uh, prays for the church. And when I say specifically for the church, you already know verse 20 brings us into it, where he says, I'm not just praying for them alone, as I quoted in the, the uh, opening paragraph. I'm not just praying for them alone, but also for them who will believe on me through their message. <laughs> so we're not part of the founding members of the church. We're at a church. But the disciples are. So he starts with the disciples, the founding members, and then he extends it to us, those who believe. That's nice that we are also mentioned in Jesus' prayer in John 17. Believers and, and my my point is it even singles us out of the number of Jesus' prayers exclusive to only the believers who uh, were the disciples, and it is extended to all those who would believe on his name through their message. So he's talking about, not, he could have said, and believers who at this time will also receive the baptism. He didn't say that. He said, believers who will believe on me through their message. What is that to say? It is to say he's talking about the building of the church. Of course, those people who believe are precious to God. And those people who believe, what, 50 days before Pentecost happens, I'm sure they are part of the church if they survive for 50 days. They're going to be part of the church. Believers at that time would likely be in the church. But this prayer is for the church's establishment. That's how we have to see this point. Now, Progressing on to point D, Jesus prayed to the Father. And this is something he actually did. He turns to the Father in prayer. And, and so we got to know that as we look at the life of Jesus, that prayer was important to him. It was something that Jesus turned to uh, often in his ministry. We see it. How important is prayer, is the question, in your day-to-day? So none of us are, I'm not calling on any of us to answer that question. I'm only asking you to see what your thoughts are about prayer. Take some time to think about prayer. It's important. Obviously, we can't dismiss it as though, oh, well, God knows my heart. So why do I need to pray? It's important that Jesus stopped and prayed to the Father. And what was on Jesus' mind, we see here. So I give Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 as a reference to prayer. Let's look at it. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. This is where Paul talks about uh, the spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And then he tells them the put on the full armor of God and the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and so forth, you know, uh, the word of God. But then in 18, he says, and pray. This is another thing that we're to do. In other words, you're supposed to have, you're supposed to have all those things in terms of the armament. But another thing you should be doing is praying. Now you're on the battlefield and this is how you have to conduct yourselves on the battlefield, not just with what a soldier would have, but in terms of defending himself and offensive weapons as well. But you also need this, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So it doesn't matter. It's all kinds of prayers. All, well, obviously, all our prayers are going to be motivated by God, the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, you wouldn't be praying anything if you didn't have God, the Holy Spirit. Of yourself, you would not even think to pray. You would not want to pray anything were it not for God, the Holy Spirit, motivating you to do so. Where were we? before God found us. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we lived, used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the prince of the ruler of the air who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Like the rest, 
We were by nature objects of wrath. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Yeah, I might have messed it up a little bit, but that's just by memory. I'm sure I did. But you know where it comes from. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. That's where we were. That's who we were. So when we talk about praying in the Spirit, well, look, we would never think of praying. First of all, if any prayer that we give to God, it is by the Spirit, because we would never think of praying, or we would never pray were it not for God the Holy Spirit working in us. So pray in the Spirit. This is, a, this is a weapon that we have. This is what we need to protect ourselves. And just let's look at it. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. In other words, not just your prayer that we have in church, that Dave or you know, Dwight or Bill would pray. We're all here assembled and we're giving a, a prayer. No, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Whatever we need on the battlefield, it, we, we don't know what we might need. Battlefields is not pretty. There are casualties all around us. Just think about it. It's just warfare. And you're not just going to have, okay, it's time to pray. Let me just, uh, you know, dear Heavenly Father, the God of heaven, from eternity past. No, you don't have time for all of that. You got to pray on the spot. Lord, help. I need it right now. Lord, please, what's going on? Whatever the prayer is, you got to talk to the Father. That's what you need to make sure that you have this dialogue going on with the Father because you're here because of Him. He chose you to be in Christ at this particular point in time. You're not here just because your father and mother got together and had you. You're here because the Father appointed you and selected you to be at this place at this particular point in time. So this is what happens with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. In other words, be ready. And this is, you know, we don't always uh, have an expectation of alertness when we think about how we conduct ourselves. We're always ready. Be ready for what could happen. Be ready and anticipate the Lord moving in your life and, and be alert to that. Uh, be alert of Satan and his you know things that he's trying to do to obstruct, to uh, deceive, to distort the word of God. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, so this is the church, obviously, this is where we are. And the Lord's people are everywhere. And we know that this battle doesn't stop with us wherever our locale is. It is a battle that goes on all over the world. And every other person who is a believer in this age is your brother. We're all members of his body. Verse 19, pray also for me, Paul says. Wow, he's soliciting prayer for himself. Why? Because Paul's on the cutting edge of things here. He says that whenever I speak, the words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So there it is. And then he's going to say, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Notice he used the word fearlessly twice in, in verses 19 and 20. Because the world will shut your mouth when it comes to this. The world will keep you from saying anything about what our special calling is in this age. The world thinks it's crazy for us to say this. Religious people will think it's blasphemous for us to say what we say when it comes to this. Just like they did for Christ and they put him on the cross. What did Christ say? He said, pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, you go to just, you're going to go the same way I am going. And that is the suffering that is in this world. So notice what Paul is, this completely captures everything we need to be thinking about on the battlefield. Uh, pray for Paul. What, 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 what are we going to pray for for Paul? that words may be given him so that he could fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Yeah, this 
this is warfare and this is why why we have been called onto the earth stage so that we can do this paul says he's in chains he's in jail right now because he's been declaring it and pray that the edge is not knocked off of paul or blunted because we want him to go out and still do this fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel yeah, I, th- this verse, I remember when we studied it, the book of Ephesians, we stayed on this verse for a while because it's important. Paul tells us what our mission is, uh, what we're doing here, how we should pray for one another. Paul says especially pray for me, pray for those who are especially on the edge of this thing, who have the gifts to be able to go out and speak that they will fearlessly speak in the world. Say exactly what God has told us to say and not be uh, deterred by those who would hate our message and and try to mock us and, and belittle us. Back to our notes. We could get caught up in these verses. Um, so it's important to pray. That's what that's to say, point D. And point E, when we are distressed and overwhelmed while in the world, this is very possible, even though we're not living in the first century that Paul was. But we can become, it, it can happen to us as well. <clears throat> we should talk to the Father in Jesus' name. This is, this is um, John 16, 26, and 27. Let's take a look at that. John 16, 26, and 7 says... In that day, now the day that he's talking about is obviously um, the church age. This is the expectation when the Spirit comes and all this stuff and you begin to understand more of what I've been telling you. So in that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So this is interesting uh, as we think about these two verses. Why? Because Jesus is literally saying, when you get, I know you got a rough time ahead of you. He had just been talking about the death, the burial, the resurrection. And the disciples finally got it all. They started putting it all together. And And they said, we know now, we got it. And then Jesus says this. He says that a time is coming and that day you will know. You, you, will, you will have this thought, but I'm telling you, it's going to be tough for you, but go right to the Father. We can talk to the Father. And when we pray, what do we say, Father? Just think about what Jesus is saying in that verse by telling us to talk to the Father directly. We don't have to say, Jesus won't be there, but he's telling us to go talk to the Father. And we'll get more of that when we think about uh, when Jesus says, for they are yours, they are yours. We're going to talk about that. There's so much here to develop. I'm hoping time-wise we can. I think so far so good. Point number two. Okay, so here's the whole phrase. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So first point is specifically those you have given me. When I think of that, again, it's only those destined to be in Christ. So Christ, so Jesus is praying, just like he said, on this rock I will build my church. That's not on Peter. That's on the confession of Peter to, who says uh, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, how do you get into the church? Is there some special initiation that you have to have or some words that you got to say? Or No, not, none at all. It says, on this rock, I will build my church. What was the rock? It is that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. That's all you got to believe when it comes to entrance into the church. That's the gospel. That's, that's, that is the door. Let's just like Christ said, I am the door for the sheep. Here it is. If you, if you confess that, if that's what's in your heart, if that's what you believe, then that is your entrance into the church. Now, once you get into salvation, get into God immediately, 
baptizes us into the body of Christ. So, but notice again, he's praying specifically for those you have given me. Now you have given me is not the reference that Christ is the savior of the world. Listen, Abel, because of Christ's work, is saved. Noah, because of Christ's work, is saved. Adam and Eve, because of Christ's work, is saved. And you could go on down the list. Moses and those in Israel were who were saved, they are the result of the work of Christ. Abraham, I could go on and on about all the people in the Old Testament. David are saved because, he's saved because of the work of Christ on the cross. But no, Christ is not praying for the whole world of people or Israel, or all of that. Those are excluded. He's praying specifically for those you have given me. And that is a reference to only those destined to be in Christ. So that's important for us to note. That's important for us to keep in mind as we think about Jesus' prayer. We'll get to why that is so in the end. Point B, Jesus notes that the disciples were not randomly chosen. Now, we, we covered this already since we've been talking about disciples for the last three verses. But in John 15, right, what's our verse in 16? Just make sure, I can make sure I got the right verses for you. 15, 16. Here, here this one's right. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So a person could have walked up to Christ and said, I want to be your disciple. They could have said that. And, and sure enough, they are, there are things that Jesus says, well, to be my disciple, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Right? But Jesus is saying, you did not choose me. It is not, that's not how, if you are my disciple, that's how you became my disciple. No, you are my disciple if I chose you and appointed you. Right? He says, I'm the one who chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And we already know what that fruit is, don't, don't we? Because we, we already said that the disciples became the founding members of the church. Or, or as Luke would say, the disciples who would later be apostles. That's, what it, that's what, how Luke, 16, or Luke chapter 6 says it. The disciples who would later be apostles. So that fruit and fruit that will last is just like Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Right? That's the fruit of the disciples. And Jesus chose them. Right? You didn't, and, but how did Jesus choose them as we already learned? Because the Father told Jesus which ones to choose. And Jesus chose those specific ones. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There it is. Now, why would we ask something in his name? It would have to be because the spirit of truth has motivated us. Remember, we wouldn't ask of ourselves something. And he's not talking about things that we might ask without the motivation of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about things that we would ask in his name, which means representing him, Christ. And the Father will definitely do it. Why? Because it is the Father's will that Christ... Uh, build his church that he Christ in fact the father chose us in him the building of the church is to take the material that the father has chosen and to put it into the church and that is the job of the Holy Spirit which we will find out so just note that it is the we're not randomly chosen this is all done by the father and Christ point C they were yours so it's but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So it's looking at that verse, the, the phrase, they are yours, they belonged to the Father. Notice, when he chose them out of all the believers of the world before creation. This may be hard for you to wrap your, your mind around, but here it is in this point number C. When were they yours? When did, when did they become the fathers? Because just to be born in Adam is not the thought here. He chose, when, were they the, when were we the fathers? What made us the fathers? 
when it says they are yours. It is this point here. And let me just explain why I say that. Because, first of all, the Father did not choose us out of uh, just randomly. But the Father knew all that would believe in his Son. This choosing is not choosing us for salvation. We, of our own free will, chose to believe in Christ. Like it says in Revelation, whoever wants to take the water of life, take it freely. Anyone can do it, whoever believes in him. It is not about the Father chose us to believe in Christ. And I know there are some theologies that have made a point of that. So, but that's not true. We are not chosen by the Father to be saved. We are chosen by the Father for this special calling that we have received and as those members of the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, says Ephesians 1, 23. So this choosing is special. The Father knew who would believe in Christ. Now you could say, well, how did you know? How do you know the Father knows that? Well, God knows. He knows every believer who would ever believe in Christ. Now, this, if God knows every sin of every person that would ever be born on planet Earth, it is certainly easier to say that he knows all of those who would believe in Jesus Christ in the world. So God knew, he knew all of this number before time began. He knew because this is the plan. He figured, he figured the plan, this is the plan I'm gonna go with. And of this plan, there's gonna be X amount of believers. And of those, and I know all of those believers by name, everyone who put their trust in Christ. So of the, that number, God chose certain ones to be born at a certain time. Yeah, he chose them. He knows which ones would believe. And he knew, and so certain ones he chose to be, he, he, he's able to position those believers where he wanted them. So it's not just that, uh, well, we'll get to it. So I'm, I'm going to give you more development as we go on, but that is when they became the fathers, for they are yours. What do you mean they are yours? Ephesians 1.4, right? Ephesians 1.4 says it. It's such an important verse right here talks about for he chose us, here it is, in him. So there it is. What did he choose us for? He chose us in him. That's different from, okay, he chose us to be in Israel, part of the nation, or he chose us. And he could, he did choose people to be in Israel. But here he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. So that is very specific and the Father choosing us. This is very, it goes right back to what we were saying in John 17. They were yours, you gave them to me, okay? So, so yeah, they were, they were the fathers and he gave them to Christ. This, here it is, where he chose us in him. Now, who did he, where did he choose us out of? He chose us out of believers of all time. He could shuffle them around to whatever he wanted them to be. Or when, us being in this age is not a mistake, it is destiny. We should see it that way rather than, oh, it's just random. We just happen to be born at this particular time, so then that's why we, we are chosen for this. No, the same thing for Israel. God, Jeremiah said God knew him before he was born. So, and he destined that Jeremiah would be born in the age of Israel. All of this is planned out. What we're really saying is, wow, God is smart. God is, his intelligence is off the chart. We can't even, it's hard for us to even enter into it. It hurts my head to think about it too hard. That God, how he arranged all of this in his head to say that he chose us in Christ. And that he could have put us anywhere. He wanted us to be, knowing that we are already going to be believers. It hurts my head to think of that. Now, why would we say that 
say that is because in the church, it is a specific calling. It's not just, well, random. It's to say that the Father chose us for his own will, for his own purposes. He chose Moses for his own purposes. Now, it's not anything to do with Moses' salvation. Because they're just as saved as we are. Abel, Noah, Adam, all the ones we mentioned are just as saved as we are. They have the same salvation. There's literally no difference in our salvation. But when it comes to our calling, that's what we're referring to. That's, that's what's going on here. That's what's being referred to here. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is specific. It's not random. And then there's Romans 8, 29 and 30. I'm going to quickly go there, which we covered in the past. and We could really take our time, but we're going to make sure we cover the thought here. 8, 29. For those... God foreknew. So I think we're going to cover foreknowledge in a, in a minute, but we're going to breeze over it right now. For those God foreknew, he also predestined and com- to be conformed to the image of his son. So here it is. Here it is. So it's not just those who happen to be there at a particular point in time. That's the point I'm making. You could, some people might say that. They say, well, no, you just were here. Moses was born when he was born, and you're born when you're born, and that's why you were in this situation in this church. No, that's not the case at all. It says, for those, and who's those? Those are, he's talking about us. God foreknew, and this is, we, God knew that we would be in this plan. And, and not only foreknowledge is not just, you know, what is, it is determinative as well. For, for us to be foreknown means, as we're going to say, we're in, God wanted us to be in the, the plan. Not just saying, oh yeah, you just happen to be there. No, he foreknew us. But then he also did other things. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So that is to say, this can't be, if God already determined this for us, then it can't just be random because he determined it before time began that this would happen, or this would be a part of, we would be a part of this particular age and time to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those so called, see, before he called them, he has to... Uh, this is a part of time now. Well, how, how would they be born? He has to give them life. When would he give them life? At what time in human history would he give them life? Because you can't be born just because you decided to be born. God can decide when you're born, though, because he's the one. He's the author of life. He's the, God, in every case, gives life to those born on the earth. It is not something he has delegated to Adam and the woman that they could give life and then Adam's progeny can give life. No, in every case, God gives life. So what did he, he also call? Then he got to the place where he called them and those he called, he's talking about their salvation here. He also justified. But they came through the same door that everybody else has to come through when it comes to salvation. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's the whole process of our earthly sojourn spelled out for us. Before time began to the, to the place of where we are glorified and operating in the role that God has planned for us. Let's continue in our notes. They are yours, right? So, for they are yours. The Father chose them, or us as well. We're going to just say them and us. And why do I say them and us? Because he chose the disciples. But 
we know this from verse 20. I am not just talking praying for them alone. So now we are part of the prayer, but we know those 11 are special because they're in the founding, but they're still in the church. Even though they're founding members, they're still part of the church. But he's also praying for us. Verse 20, John 17, 20. To be in Christ. The Father chose them, us, to be in Christ. That's second, and we know 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So it's not just, well, I'm just going to put the title on me that I'm in Christ. I'm going to, this is Doug in Christ. No, it is a fact that we are literally, we've been chosen to be in Christ from before time began. We were foreknown. So what happens in 517 is not just, oh, isn't that interesting that you are a new creation? No, this is what, this is ordered and directed and planned by God the Father that you are here. They are yours. Yeah, they are yours. And then <clears throat> point E, the baptism of the Spirit is how they are identified with Christ. How they are identified with Christ. That's the means by which God places them in union with Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. And we know that's the body of Christ. That's point E. That's the means. That's how he did it. Point F. So since the baptism of the Spirit is part of the mystery, right? let's think about that for a minute. These are all the things that had to happen in the order they happened. One, the Father foreknew us. That's Romans 8, 29, which we already covered. But the foreknowledge says that we're in the plan of God. You know, Israel was foreknown as well. They were foreknown. It says by the foreknowledge of God. However, they're not in the church, are they? So we know God reused the word foreknown or fore, foreknowledge to not only represent those who are in the plan of God, but also those who are in the church. Previously in the plan of God, but also those who are in the church. So that's important to note. He foreknew us. And that's the first thought. We're, so God the Father, that's when he really knew us right there. We were his. When he said, I want Doug to be in the church. I'm putting Doug in the plan. And, and, and that's how it happened. That's how I got here. And then point two, the Father predestined us. He marked out our destiny and purpose. And this is all before time began. This is all before the creation of all things. And it also speaks of the detail, the excruciating detail that hurts our, our minds to think about all the decisions and actions of all these people that brought us to this stage where our destiny and purpose is marked out. God, the Father, did this before time began, before, the, before he even execute, executed the command to create all things. This was already in place. It was already in place. So that's the, I mean, that's point two. Point three, the Father selected us to be, he already knew the ones, now let's get them where they belong. He selected us to be born in this age where this baptism of the Spirit was revealed because it was not revealed in ages past. It was not. And so he, he knew that he would give life to me in this particular age. You can just put your name in there instead of mine. Don't don't write down. Yeah, he gave life to Doug, and write down he gave life to and put your name in there because that's who he gave life to, as far as you are concerned. In this particular mystery age, yeah, we were specifically chosen. So he selected us to be born. This is what I I meant when I said that. Hopefully, there can be more questions around this if there's not clarity. This is what we need to be talking about. These are what the Bible considers the deep things of God. Let's talk about them. 
you want to talk to the father, talk to the father about them. These are important matters. Point three. The father selected us to be born in this age where the baptism of the spirit was to be revealed. I think we covered that point. Point four. The father knew us by name since we were specifically chosen. He knew us by name. Wow. Well, how do we get that? Because, well, listen, he knew the disciples by name, exactly by name. He knew that all of what it took for Peter, let's just take Peter, to be here, all that it took. If you want to talk about the line of Peter, you could talk. And, and God is very careful to tell us these genealogies because he's showing you that he saw all of this, and so-and-so begot this one, and so-and-so begot that one, and so-and-so. He doesn't give genealogies for everybody, but for the ones that are very specific, like Jesus and the father of David, different ones, Abraham, he gives genealogies for. Just so it's a part of his way of detailing for you, in a broad way, how people got here that he is chosen for a particular purpose. He foreknew them, and then he tells you, well, so how did they get here? Well, so-and-so begot this one, and so-and-so begot that one, and then they begot that one, and, that. and then came you, or Peter. Way down the road, all the decisions and actions of all those people led to you. That's God saw it all, and he ordered it all that you will be born at a particular point in time. Whether you were Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. He knew us by name. He knew the disciples by name. Christ didn't say, well, if there's a Peter in the bunch, please, all the Peters, step forward. And then he chose which one. No, he knew exactly which Peter it was. He knew exactly which uh, John and Matthew and all the rest of them. He knew exactly which ones they were. Some of them, there were two Judases. And he knew, oh no, this is Judas, the son of Simon. Oh no, this is Judas, the son of... He knew exactly which ones he was calling. It is by name. That's how we are chosen as well. God saw you before the creation of all things. That is amazing to think about. <laughs> but we, there's no way we can trace that information other than by the spirit of truth. That's why he says, I'm going to show you things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. How could they? How could they enter into the heart of man? And even if man thought, well, yeah, there was some master plan, whatever, they're guessing. They have no knowledge of this other than what God has revealed to us by means of the Spirit. So he knew us by name, point five. In time, he gave us life in Adam. There it is. And notice, we didn't come on a, you know, huge podium and you know, the birth, you know, or, or like in, you know, on Lion King where, you know, they got all this music and all the animals are there. And then he lifts up the, the cub and, and everybody bows. That's not how we came into the world. We came in Adam, like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. We didn't come any special way. We came just like everybody else. We had to come through the door of salvation just like those other believers of all ages. And then, but God has something planned for us behind all of that, that we had no clue. And it was the, this mystery age that we were born in where the Holy Spirit grabbed us at that point and baptized us into the body of Christ. So the point number six, as we're moving forward, I know time is moving also, but point number six is this. It is a scripture, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, because it, it picks up right there where you left off, where we are. 
And it says this, and you also were included in Christ. And there it is, included in Christ. How did it happen and when? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed. Notice, it's not yeah, after, you know, you tarried and and, uh, you know, you were told to say, you know, words and so that didn't make any sense. No, it waited and just waited on God. No. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, not only were you baptized in Christ, but results follow. You got rights. You got an inheritance. You're, you're in Christ. You're part of this e- eternal purpose of the Father. So, and this is telling you how you got in Christ. You were included in Christ when you heard the message through the gospel of your salvation. That's how you came through the door. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This glorifies the Father because you are now able to take your seat in the church. The Father's glorified. All of this planning that went into you getting there and taking, being baptized by the Holy Spirit, now you are one of those who belong to Christ. But really, you belong to the Father because it was his plan. Like Christ said, you gave them to me. They were yours, but you gave them to me and and they are yours. So yeah, we're in Christ, but it is the plan of the Father to, to the praise of his glory. So we'll come to this last point and this is just, just to note, it is not often that we get the context of this chapter handed to us on a silver platter. Now, when I say of this chapter, we got it right here in the prayer of Jesus and what his intentions were by the direction of his prayer. We got it right here. But often we don't always get that in other chapters that we cover. Sometimes we have to labor a little bit to figure out well what is being spoken of what is the subject here what's going on what's what's the point that what's the point here and we do that and we get quite a bit of uh, uh, reward for that labor because we come to learn what the what the chapter is about and sometimes that's the most important thing what is it all about we get that, then all of the verses and everything seems to fold right into what that purpose is. And here, Jesus just told you what the purpose was. We've been talking about it. Why are we talking about it? It's because that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's praying to the Father about. The eternal purpose of the Father is laid out for us. Jesus is praying to the Father about the establishment of the church. Yeah, I told him all the things you told me to tell him. Father, now glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. All of those things are part of, or fold into what Jesus was doing, preparing this mystery dispensation to dawn on the earth and God's eternal purpose to be realized. Here, Jesus is laying it out, telling us straight away, here's what I'm talking about. And for the rest of the chapter, we're going to still be talking about it. The rest of the chapter is the rest of the prayer. It does. The prayer doesn't keep on going on into 18. 18 says, okay, after this, they got up and they went on to the Garden of the Gethsemane where they were going to meet Judas. But this prayer to the Father helps us understand. Not only does it help us understand what was the point of it all in chapter 17, but what was the point of it all from chapter 14 through 17. 
this is it. And this is the special calling that we now are recipients of in this age to the praise of his glory. Yeah, that's wonderful what it says there at the end of Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. We are going to have to stop at this point. We will continue these thoughts next week. So hang in there. Um, we will uh, pick up right on in the next verse and we will continue with this theme. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, as you have thought about us. And the only thing we can do is to depend and trust and rely on the spirit of truth because of ourselves, Father. There's no way we can comprehend or understand uh, any of this apart from what you have given us. And we, we are grateful for the things that we've come to learn about ourselves. And Father, we know and we are continuing to sit on the edge of our seats because we know that there is even more. There's, there's more, infor more information that will come out and help us orient to what you've done for us so that we can be those who not only are here but represent you and your plan in this particular age. Well, we thank you for placing us here. We thank you for Christ. And, and, and Father, we pray for believers of all ages who were also in Christ and going through struggles, sometimes the same struggles we're going through. So we thank you for Word is Truth Christian Church in particular because um, without him, we couldn't have done and discovered the things that we've discovered uh, th without them and the spirit of truth directing us uh, and, and guiding us into all truth. We thank you, Father, for all of this that has happened. We pray that we could be witnesses of, of these things in the world and that you will give us wisdom so that we know how to uh, unfold this information as well. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.